Hello, I'm Jeremy Lair, and this is The Money Movement, a show where we explore the issues and ideas driving this brave new world of digital currency and blockchains. This week, we're going to be focused on what I'm calling the stablecoin trade. The stablecoin trade is, is sort of looking at this world of stablecoins uh, through the lens of really where, where they came from, which was trading in crypto markets. Uh, the history of stablecoins, their role in these digital asset and crypto markets, um, how they've evolved, their current evolution, and then obviously kind of where they're going, the broadening role, what all that looks like. And uh, very excited this week to help us navigate this and talk through this. Uh, we're joined by Dan Matuszewski. Uh, just a little bit of background. I know Dan uh, from having worked together for years building Circle Trade. But Dan is someone who has really been in these crypto markets really as long as anyone truly one of the OGs in trading uh, in this space. Uh, Dan has you know, probably held and traded more stable coins uh, than almost anyone in the world um, and has obviously witnessed their explosive growth. And so he's going to be giving us a tremendous ex uh, uh, perspective and experience. Welcome, Dan. Welcome. Yeah, Thanks nice for to having see you. me. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it's great I to like see your uh, dome thingy in the corner. The yeah, it's a uh, dome. It's nice. Yeah, it, it sort of it's alluding to a few things, and yeah, it's good. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, awesome. So, um, look, we got a ton we want to cover, um, and uh, and and we'll we'll get to all that, but. Um, I just think it's always fun. Uh, I want to I want to have you just share a little bit of your your history, your story. How did you arrive into crypto? When did you arrive in crypto? Why did you think it was like going to change the world? What kind of what what brought you here? Yeah, fair. Um, so to be fair, I didn't think it was going to change the world when I first got into it. Um, I was working at a hedge fund called Bay Hill Capital, which is about forty five minutes south of Boston. Um, kind of in the middle of nowhere, was trading equity options. So um, basically S&P 500 names, like all the options that are on that. And like we had like a vol product that we had sort of built around it. So um, that was my job at the time. And I had found out about crypto and just crypto is just Bitcoin, right? Like that was like the whole game then. Um, probably through, I think it was like one of those like crazy anarchist blogs, probably like Zero Hedge. It was like, it was like sort of a known thing, right? Like it lived yeah. in the fringes of markets and like people knew about it. And it had gotten like a lot of like color in like sort of the larger financial world when it like hit a dollar and then when it hit $10. So like we knew sort of about it, but there's an exchange called Bitfloor, which was in New York oh, that yeah. blew up, right? And Roman went to work at GDAX. There's like the whole history of that thing. But uh, they had a maker taker exchange model so you got paid to provide liquidity and at the time at the fund i was at i was specifically dealing with like the hedging of the options so trading the stock throughout the day to sort of do that so i'd gotten very into sort of the lower level trading activity like with the markets like i was good like dealing with routing and like different order types and i was like all right well this crypto thing is like small i can trade it because there's no conflict of anything i'm doing in my day job and like, maybe I can make a little money doing it. And that was really how I got started with it. Turned out okay. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. <laughs> what 
I didn't know a ton about Bitcoin before I started trading it, right? I was like, all right, well, you can send it. Like, I don't know. I kind of get like the thesis. And then you just go down that rabbit hole, right? Then you're like, well, what is mining? And then you like inevitably lose money trying to be a miner. And then you like try to like figure out, well, like, oh, like maybe I can move it to this exchange and do this arm. So like that was like the the gateway drug in the sort of all right. the larger crypto. And then I just like jumped in full time. He was cracking, um, raised some money. I had gotten to know Jesse because I was doing a lot of the volume on cracking at the time like yeah. a significant amount it was very small it's like the whole exchange was only doing a tiny amount like i was a portion of it um and then i was like all right well if i'm going to really do this there's only a couple places that make sense right now and the exchange is the clear business model so like you're either a miner or you were sort of a developer for one of the right. software providers or you were working at one of the exchanges um and that's still kind of true to this day in the sense that like the exchanges are the big business that like generates all the revenue in the industry so i went to work for kraken was there six months. Um, you guys raised money at the time. It was your Series A. Um, I was living in Boston still. You guys were like down the street from me. You were in Four Point. I was over on G Street. Oh, I remember. <laughs> yeah, and I shot a cold email in and sort of got to know you guys and then inevitably like made my way over. And yeah. then obviously worked Circle, traded that, built that desk out over like the time. And then now I work with Bobby Cho, uh, DRW, Julian, who was with us at Circle. Yeah. Um, at the end, and then we're just basically trading the equivalent of what like a hedge fund strategy would be, but um, using principal capital currently. Yeah. So yeah. that's like so. But I've been doing it now eight years going on. So yeah. I've seen some things and some iterations. <laughs> yeah, you 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 know where the bodies are buried. Um, some of them. <laughs> um, so actually, so just on the on the on the the origin story, as as we say, like um, I remember when we first met. And, you know, we obviously were, you know, we were all fired up about like, hey, look, this digital currency thing is actually going to become like the way that the payment system works. It's going to be like the way that value moves around. And how do we like take fiat, make a digital currency? How do we do all this sort of stuff? And I think obviously for, for you, you were more focused on like, hey, look, there's this great opportunity to trade Bitcoin. And this is in Boston. And this is a good group of people and, 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 and all that. Um, but like, back in the early days there was sort of like the crypto macro thesis like by definition like bitcoin itself is a macro thesis right um you know uh, how early on did you actually buy into the let's just say like the long thesis the long kind of global macro thesis that says like the world's going to go to shit and this is uh you know going to grow as a store of value probably way later but what i will say is um the guy who started Bay Hill, this guy, Alec, was, was like the main trader in the Euro dollar option pit way back in the day in yeah. Chicago, right? So, but he was there when the Euro got created, right? He's like, I, and he, I remember him saying this, he's like, look, like, I've seen the birth of a currency and he's like, I've seen how this like all kind of plays out and like what has to happen. And he's like, all I know is if this is going to work out, this thing has to go up tremendously in value. He's like, it's just like, this doesn't make yeah. any sense like where it is currently. He's like, it's either going to be a zero or this thing's got to go up much higher. So I will say the first time I really thought it could be very large is when he started like advocating the possibility of it. And then you just handicap it. You're like, all right, well, I think it's got this chance of getting there maybe, which is like an impossible task. But like you start to get the idea of like, all right, well, yeah. the, anyway, the baseline's got to go. I don't think I really started seeing it as like a true form of like value storage or even like this greater idea that like this is like sort of the maybe end result of like where money sort of has to go until way later like 2015 2016 where i started you started seeing material amounts of it 
yeah. in dollar terms being like kept by counterparties. Yeah. And then specifically like stuff out of Asia where we would like see people that were sort of like only native, like crypto native, right? Like they just lived their entire sort of balance sheet right. was constructed out of it. And that was like, I was like, all right, well, there's like really people that are like doing this, like this is gonna like work. Um, and there's like a trend there. But like when it was, when it was smaller, like it was, I wasn't, it was, I was not, a, I was not buying that thesis yet for a bit. Yeah. I've always believed it. <laughs> no, I mean, like, yeah. look, it, it's right. Like, or it's, yeah. it's yeah. much more likely to be right now than it was like at that yeah. time. So, so this actually, it's a good segue, right? So 2015, 2016, people in Asia, you know, moving into this, moving to Bitcoin, right? And, uh, and basically like a, a, a relatively unfriendly environment in Asia for like, getting dollars in and out of the these exchanges that that are over there. And so, uh, you know, Tether is born. Um, and uh, it's sort of born out of a need out of Asia more than anything else. And, um, you know, I, I want to get into Tether uh, in, in a minute and, and talk about that separately. But just like, you know, you you saw the birth of stable coins. And, and there obviously there were a few different attempts at this very in the very early stages, the first stages. So at, like as a trader, uh, when this when these like very first emerged, what did you think? Well, Tether, like when it first emerged, wasn't really that useful from what I remember. Like it was around, but like nobody was paying it any mind. It really started to get big when Bitfinex lost their banking in um, Taiwan because they yep. had like a couple of Taiwanese banks that they used and they had a ton of activity flowing through there. So you could generally interface dollars to trade Bitcoin in Asia via that vehicle. So like that wasn't like a, and people could keep dollars there too, right? Like that, like, there wasn't a huge, people like to like, I think talk about this capital flight scenario of like people trying to get dollars like out of Asia, but like most of the like demand driven side for like Tether was like speculative trading yeah, activity. Early especially on, back then, right? Early on. In the early days, right. So what, once Bitfinex got jammed up on the banking side and started to move more into like the Tether denominated stuff, that was when it like started to become really useful. And that shoehorned people into it, right? Because they were like, all right, well, now I'm dealing with it anyway. So like I can use it other places. And what you started to see was smaller exchanges that were trying to set up couldn't or wouldn't get banking. Like it's hard, right? Like you yeah, know this. Like, it's really, it's a monster. And it's like a, just a huge regulatory battle and like such a heavy headache in the gate that they're like, all right, well, we can just bootstrap this with like using Tether. And that's really like what happened is like people were like, well, you can either go get a bank and get a full compliance right. department to handle that, or you can just like slap right. Tether on it. It's like kind yeah, of in the gray. It, was, it was crypto shadow banking sort of, you know, to, to, for a lot of different market participants to, to sort of get, get on these rails. But I think obviously people figured out like, wait a minute, like these dollars move fast, relatively speaking. And if I'm a trader, right. Like if I can, if I can go across exchanges, I don't have to like, be like holding like working capital in all these places and getting credit lines in all these places. And like, I mean, you still might want to do that, but like just in terms of, you know, as venues grew, which like 2017, right. was like this really significant kind of growth in, in venues and, and diversification of, of that obviously continued like the utility value kind of kicked in from a trader perspective, I think. Right. Yeah. Well, so like once you started using it, you're like, this is pretty useful. Right. And like everybody sort of has that, it, depending on how like early you needed to be forced into it. Obviously, like if you couldn't like secure or keep your own banking, you got pretty comfortable with it pretty fast. 
Um, and like, there's also this sort of size thing, right? Like once Tether got to a certain size, people became a lot more comfortable with it because like the risk associated with it seems to like come much less. And also as it starts to be like taken on more venues, it's a liquid OTC, it's like liquid on screens. Like you, you become much more comfortable with it as an asset that you're sort of holding. Tether is unique in the sense that Tether prices as a risk asset as opposed to, well, and like die too, but like Tether really of the dollar-based stable coins. Cause like USDC is just a dollar, right? Like you just like moving it out. You don't think about it. Thankfully. But like, <laughs> yeah, but like Tether has a history of like moving and like yeah. that matters. And like the more sure. it's close to the peg and the more that's like on it, like that's like the yeah, bigger like, thing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, you know, for a lot of people who are, uh, you know, kind of looking at this for the first time, they're like, why would anyone ever, you know, want to rely on something like that when it's like, you know, we don't even know what's there. We don't even know what the assets are. Like, it, you know, it turned out actually, like, it was, it was a, the, the assets were a mixed bag, uh, still, still kind of are. Um, but uh, people, people didn't just didn't care. Yeah, they, I mean, they definitely don't. Um, like, they're willing to like tolerate a lot of sort of like non-optimal transparency on it. Um, and I think the reason for that is because there's enough market participants that can create and redeem it at a dollar that it just like stays pretty tightly wound to that peg now. So it, that like, look, like, it doesn't matter if you can't directly sort of orbit back to a dollar, as long as there's people that can, and it keeps clearly being like kept in line, people are like less concerned with it, right? Like it's good enough and it's like taken everywhere. So yeah. I don't know. So, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't see that changing unless there's a material regulatory action that like forces people to like rethink that risk. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll come around to that uh, in a few minutes. I'm going to talk about like the kind of where we are today and where we're going, but, but, um, but just in this space, just because we're kind of going through like the, a little bit of history here. So obviously this is sort of, that's sort of the first, the first kind of, you know, liquid dollar stablecoin um, that 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 has been out there. Um, you have like these crypto collateral crypto collateralized you know pr projects, and there've been a bunch of those uh, over the years. But sort of, you know, die sort of being uh, being the most prominent one. Um, you know, how do you look at that category? And we'll get we'll get to USDC in a second. But how do you look at that category um, as a trader specifically? Yeah. So the problem, not that we, there's a problem with Dai, like the issue with using it as opposed to the dollar ones is like, it's much more likely that Dai is going to trade away from its peg than anything else. Just because like the, the creation and redemption mechanisms to like keep it in line are like less robust than you're going to have for right. say um, Tether or USDC, right? Like yeah. those are just going to get smashed in line so much farther. And the other like always lingering risk with that stuff is that like there's still unknown unknowns like in that like smart contracts like we saw this in the crash in March right where they liquidated a bunch of CDPs at zero or whatever it was it's like there's still some like bugs that have to get like shook out of this thing as opposed to like like look Tether and USDC like they you just put dollars in the bank they give you the tokens and like it's somewhat centralized so you can trust it a little bit more so than right. some like decentralized system where like yeah we don't entirely know how this thing's gonna like right. work on like a certain stress test it's like right. that's the big issue I think that has that being said, though, Dai is the most censorship-resistant yep. stablecoin dollar that you have out there. So, like, that has some value to it. Yeah, you have the spectrum of right censorship resistance, and then you have like you know the uh, at the other end like something that's like regulated, audited, compliant. Like you know exactly what it is, and and it's under a regime and supervised and all that stuff, which is sort of where USDC is. Um, but I think like the the key kind of key concept here though is 
specifically as a trader, specifically in what I call the crypto capital markets, like the market infrastructure layer, the dollar market infrastructure layer, like it, it, it obviously, you know, from a trader perspective, you need that redeemability and it needs to be redeemable into actual like bank accounts. It's gotta be liquid and useful. Yeah, I mean, like we don't do a ton of business in DAI. We do, but like we're using DAI, usually if it's like a last resort, if we're like able to use Tether or USDC, like that's just how we're gonna like operate. Like yeah. first. Yep, yep, yep. Cool, so, um, so yeah, I guess, you know, related to that, obviously, you were um, you were working closely with with us as we launched USDC um, and and kind of had the construct of center and you know this as you know like you know our, our vision has been you know how do you actually create a standard for like fiat digital currency and like a standard that like creates interoperability that eventually is used for payment and settlement really broadly among like you know, all the leading fintech wallets, digital wallets, like it ultimately becomes like an actual medium of exchange outside of trading. Um, but at the same time, right, as, as we know, like the bootstrap use case, you know, for USDC has been trading. Um, so maybe just talk, talk a little bit about, you know, your view on sort of the, you know, the, a little bit of the origin of USDC, because you had a front row seat and you were helping, you know, create those markets, right? Um, little bit of uh, uh, on the origin there. And then, um, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, we'll move into the, like the kind of where it's headed thing. Yeah, remember it was like a race, like everybody knew there was like the PAX product, there was the GUSD and there was USDC and like everybody, cause like you would hear it sort of rippling between like all the regulators, like all what was going on. And like, we all knew they were like coming down the pipe but it was like, all right, like who's gonna hit it first? Who's gonna have the product? Like who's gonna have like the iteration of it? Yeah, so I mean, look, like, Tether had a bunch of shocks in it, right? Where it depegged, it like would trade down to like 80 cents or it would trade up like yeah. rich a couple percent. So there was a need in the market or at least a perceived need in the market for a much more pegged stable coin out there that would in effect have to be, not have to, but likely be much more regulated compliant and like sort of the version of those like a whole second iteration of stable coins that you saw come out there. Um, and I think that was what really drove the market demand for it. And like the idea was that your balances in your exchanges that you like natively face your bank accounts with anyway should just be a stable coin. And that should be yeah. like a seamless thing. Like there shouldn't be this concept that these dollars are any different um, if you can just like move around. And that's like super useful. Like it's an extremely, extremely powerful thing. Yeah. Like as a trader in this ecosystem, like we kind of just live in stable coins anyway. Like we try to avoid going back and forth to our bank. Because money that's kept in the bank is generally less useful than money we have like actionability towards. Also, the interest rates in crypto are just massively better than you're ever going to have in your bank account anyway. Like, yeah, you're taking risk on it, but right. like, like right. dollars are effectively saying right. dollars anyway half right. the time. So, like, so you basically have like today, well, you know, take the the leading dollar stable coins and how they can be deployed. Right, you basically have like a payment system that works everywhere in the world with final, instant, irreversible settlement in like minutes with like very high security with very low cost relatively speaking and so that's great from a trading perspective right just like executing with that but then you actually have like these new like capital markets like debt markets that that effectively have been created in an institutional setting and a retail setting like you have like the 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 the, the retail versions of it and the people who pile into the retail versions of it on exchanges and other DeFi and stuff and then you have like actual institutional demand 
for borrowing and, yeah. against this. And like, these are basically, you know, these are internet credit markets that now exist in digital dollars. And they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're obviously, you know, delivering attractive yield. You know, we're doing stuff in that now too. Right, right. So I think, I think it's important to know, like the main reason that there's like a very, very high implied interest rate with all of like the dollar sort of products that exist in, in DeFi, but even like the bilateral stuff you see with lenders is because there's an incredible demand for leverage from the mostly retail user base that's trading crypto, right? Yeah. And like you see this, you see this largest in the implied interest rate via the futures curve. Like yeah. the fact that a September delivery of Bitcoin trades at a pretty nice premium to the current spot price. So you can just buy spot, sell future and collect that difference, but you need cash in order to do that, right? So you get a you get this like lending rate that like works its way out. It's very high right now because like the market's been running up. It's something like 20% for ETH, which yeah. is a dollar rate. So you can lend your dollars yeah. out for sort of 4% just to September, yeah. um, which is crazy time. Right. But like that, that trickles into like people looking to borrow, right? So if I can go borrow $50 million at 4% or 5%, like that's, that's great for me, right? Because I'm going to like net four times that over like the same time frame. So like that's what draws the trading entities into like borrowing a ton of money. And then like that sucks like sort of the money back into like the stable coin sort of ecosystem. Right. So like that's, that's the cycle as I see yep. it like sort of playing out. Right. And you're seeing effectively that's like, you know, people are staying sticky in the stable coins, circulation grows, it's getting deployed and, and cycled as it were in these different kind of strategies. Yeah, it stays, right. Like you yeah. get the money in and then like it, it just doesn't tend to go the other way yeah. as much. Yeah. So, I mean, we've seen big destruction of like stable coins like throughout history and like bear markets sure. and stuff, but like the net is clearly like off sure. the direction of get more money in this ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So like, um, you know, obviously from a trading, like these sort of trading markets, these like lending markets, like these are obviously, you know, big pieces, but I think like today we're certainly seeing, we have a front row seat on this, um, but like people are starting to discover that this stuff is actually useful for payments and settlement. They're, you know, th this is, you can actually, you know, whether you're a business or you're an individual or you're someone who lives in somewhere where you'd <laughs> rather have dollars, um, like there's all of these places where people are saying, hey, these are actually like dollars are a good store of value. These digital dollars are actually even even a better store of value because they're sort of self-sovereign and you can do, you know, sort of have the, the, the utility value of the Internet. But sort of, um, you know, this sort of transition from market infrastructure into payment system like that. That's obviously like that's, you know, from our perspective, like that's the long thesis. And, you know, there's all this noise around this stuff. Uh, around the world with like CBDC and, you know, our, our, our stable coins, private sector stable coins going to be, you know, effectively like permitted as payment systems in the West and the U.S. and so on. What are you, what are you thinking on, on the sort of this jump from like markets infrastructure to actual like payments infrastructure? Yeah. So we, I'll say we probably don't have the ground zero look at it, but from what we get told anecdotally from the people that are on the large side. So they, you got to realize like the stablecoin markets, like they work in the sort of fashion where you have like large individuals and corporates that will like generate huge blocks of it. And they're selling it to secondary brokers who are yeah. then like sort of the end middlemen that like distribute it everywhere. So there's like kind of this network that's built. And like, we, we tend to only know the people that play in like the larger sort of ticket realm. But what we hear is that 
specifically like over the course of this year is that there's been like a pretty large demand for dollars in a lot of like regions where it's either like it's it's either hard to hold dollars like structurally or they can't or if they can they're worried about like seizure and or like risk of that money like sort of sitting in accounts that like are visible via like so there's this is really good for stable coins because like you can just hold them natively to yourself you don't have to like trust anybody else there's been a lot of demand from regions like that for people yep. looking for yep, yep. and i think like a lot of people try to push bitcoin as this narrative of like this store value they're like well you can hold bitcoin and like the reality is people want dollars they want like stability like bitcoin moves around a ton yeah yeah, and, like, yeah. this idea that, like, oh, like, you can just keep your wealth in that. It's, like, people can't do that if it, like, right. moves around 50 60% right. every year and a half. And, like, yes, it has generally gone up. But, like, what if it didn't over that eight-month period and you needed yeah. that people, money? So, people who have meaningful long-term savings that want to allocate some of that savings into these sort of long-term risk assets, that's a great place for Bitcoin or speculative. Right. Right? And then, but but for, like... The average person around the world who's like, I, I need a like a now store of value, and that like you know I gotta, you know, pay my, you know, pay my expenses and and not have you know, massive depreciation and so on. Like they're looking at things obviously differently. Right, they're looking for dollars. People, that's what they want. They like want to keep their value in dollars stable, so they ultimately want them. Um, so yeah, that's been the big driver, a lot of the new issuance. Cause like, look, all this new issuance clearly isn't going to crypto. Like yeah. crypto's having a year, but it's yeah. the money getting pushed yeah. into the system is orders of magnitude more than we saw in even like 2017. Yeah, now we're definitely, we're, we're witnessing that firsthand, which is, which is pretty cool. We've talked about it a bunch, you know, l- t- coming back to like regulation. So like, like there's lots of regulation in the space, um, you know, all kinds of stuff going on, but like, Stable coins basically is now are now like very much a front and center topic, and you know the the you know the FSB is you know doing this stuff. We've been involved in that. Like, there's going to be a global regime around private sector stable coins, um, which I think is ultimately a really positive thing because of essentially what that means is that like G20 and beyond, private sector stable coins are going to be essentially you know a a valid payment system, a valid, uh, you know, infrastructure that like you can build financial markets around that you can build payment systems around, you can do all this stuff around. It's just, there's going to be a bunch of rules around what it is to be an issuer, what it is to, you know, what kind of licensing you need, what kind of, you know, rule set you have to follow, which, you know, we have kind of self-governance around that now through center, but like there's going to be governance governance (laughs) around that, you know, over the next year. Um, You know, do you, do you think that's like, a, a huge positive do you think that if negatively affects things like tether like how, you know what, what do you think happens there i think i so i don't know because i it kind of depends on how they treat it right like there's there's a bad world in this too right like there's a world where they're like you have to have travel rule level enforcement of every transaction and then it's like does this even work like how can you even like be using this stuff like on chain if everything like so that that's definitely the far this is going to be terrible but then the good could be is like, all right, as long as you police the on and the off ramps, everything that happens inside is like fine. And like, I don't know where that's going to shake out, right? Like I'm not, I do not understand enough of like how the nuances of like those conversations go of like where they're like trying to land that thing. And like, I would assume you guys are more on the, all right, if it's coming in out of the banking sector, like we got it. And then like once yeah. it's out, it's like good to go. And I could, but I can very much see people being like, well, why, what about all these transactions that happen in the middle? Like, why is that not subject to the same level of like oversight 
that we would yeah. do if it were in a traditional yeah. sort of banking side. So that concerns me is that they'll use it as a way to block some of this stuff. And the problem is it's all dollars at the end of the day. So they do have some jurisdictional ability to sort of like take it on, which concerns me. And this is, I think, why people gravitate sometimes towards Tether is because they assume, no, nobody really knows how this is ever going to play out, that Tether is going to be a much more resistant to changes that potentially move it more towards that more heavily regulated side. Um, but like that being said, like they're still dollars at the end of the day. So it's not like they're going to be like, on some different like it's not like yeah. their dollars are different than usdc's yeah. dollars so we'll see how all that but that's what scares me is like a yeah. user of all these things is like how are they going to craft this stuff on it yeah yeah i mean there's a there's a lot of um industry work happening around that right now um to to kind of come up with you know kind of technical solutions to how you can deal with things like record keeping on transactions that are happening on public chains um, but still enable like the seamlessness of the experience and, and what you're trying to do. Um, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think that my take is that over time, like jurisdictional arbitrage on like, you know, businesses that intermediate crypto dollars is going to be difficult um, over time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is, it's, which that, is it's, it's that like in between zone, right? It's like, well, you're yeah. not big enough, but like you're still trying to, that's yeah. like where I think it's like all at risk. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you take something like Libra, and because the potential systemic scale of it is is so large, like it's locked down. I mean, it's basically a lockdown network, right? Right. Yeah. Um, well, what I, think, what, I, yeah. what I think it's going to be a very interesting one that's going to butt its head is um, so like part of the part of the thing with dollars that like has always stopped dollarization of like other areas has been like you have to get physical currency, right? And like yeah. that slows it down. But like if this stuff's all digital and there's just dollars like whipping around, like Absolutely. Lower grade currencies are just going to get nuked yeah. if this thing gets like enough critical mass. And I'm very curious how like those places are going to react to this yeah. stuff. Well, like, it's very is, possible yeah. they're just they're like, yeah. no, you can't do this. Yeah. Like, I mean, this not. is like, I mean, this is like, I, I I use the analogy of like what happened with over the top is this concept that existed in media and communications on the internet, which is basically like, you know. There used to be all these like regulated firms in every country that would like handle like who could broadcast information, who could publish, you know, uh, you know, who could who could, you know, intermediate like voice conversations like that was a pretty regulated space, very regulated with big national monopolies with gut in, in some cases like government run infrastructure in lots of places and then like you know, boom, software on the internet and everything went over the top and like anyone can broadcast anywhere, anyone can share information anywhere, anyone can communicate with anyone instantly, peer to peer, censorship resistant, all this stuff launched and kind of the world rolled over, you know, in, in a sense, like because people were like, this is just better. I want this, it's better, it's faster, it's cheaper, it's easier, I like it. And like, it was, it was, it was almost impossible for these national governments to say, no, you can't use Skype or, you know, no, you can't use Twitter. Um, you've had obviously interventions that have happened. You've got, you know, firewalls that are, you know, doing stuff. Is the market moving? No, no, no. I'm no, just no. kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just I'm joking with you. I was debating uh, with, with uh, people before we started, like, while we were talking, are we going to cross 12,000 and is, or, or, or 425 uh, on, 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 on Bitcoin? on Ethereum, but I haven't looked. So anyway, <laughs> um, no, and I'll say says that over the top kind of concept and like digital currency is over the top. Right. And this is, you know, this kind of thing where, you know, stable coins like can exist on the internet and 
as you said, like if I'm in Zimbabwe or I'm in, you know, Argentina or I'm, you know, pick your, pick your place. Um, it, it sort of mm. has that, it has that kind of power. Um, and, you know, are people just going to vote with their smartphones, what economic system they want to participate in, um, you know, in a sense. Right. Right. I just, I, so I don't know, this is like, this is all getting out there too, right? Like this is really just sort of being like, what are the knock on effects? It's just like money is such a more powerful thing than not that like media is not a really important thing, but like controlling your money and your sort of ability to like police and or like your currency is such an important part of like oh, you as a nation, like fiscal policy, taxation, uh, everything changes. Yeah. If suddenly you don't really have a handle on it or you're like stuck using somebody else's and you didn't want to, I don't know. I don't know how but isn't this, play. this is like the big long macro thesis on digital currency, which is like, this is building a new global economic order that is going to be more, more, more global digital currency based. Right. And is it going to just be dollars or it will be crypto, right? This is the other thing. It's like, is it really going to be dollars at the end of the day once everybody has dollars or something synthetic? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's way out there and it's, yeah. it's cool to make those projections, but I think in the short term, you're going to have some like, you're going to definitely have some resistance. Yeah. 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 For sure. Well, actually, so just maybe actually in the short term, I think this is one of the things that we're seeing um, is like big fintechs, big payment companies, banks, other people are basically waiting into they're waiting, they're waiting into stable coins. And so like, you know, the, one of the really critical things is, and you know, we had this OCC guidance a couple of weeks ago that said, Hey, banks can custody uh, crypto. And that, you know, presumably is also includes stable coins, but we're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing sort of this very strong engagement now from, you know, lots of different players in the traditional quote unquote digital payments, fintech and even banking sector who are like, they're wading into this and, and including with things like USDC, like what does that look like maybe a year from now where all of a sudden like these rails are just like connected up and people can use them in, in kind of more of the mainstream products that they, they know and love and use today um, instead of just like, you know, their crypto wallet that maybe is a little bit more trading focused. This could be great. Right. Like it's, if all this stuff is like actually connected and you're like able to like whip that like dollars around him, it's going to be so much better. That is like the current experience is terrible. Yeah. Right. Like if you have, if I got money in bank of America yeah. and like, I got to give it to somebody in PayPal, right? it's like, yeah, you can totally. do it, but like, it's, it's crappier than it needs to be. And like, it's, it's weird. Right. Cause like, it's one of these things that like technology just like never, so kinda, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm like, why can't I do it? But I, but I can send money from Binance to like, yeah. and like nobody cares and it's like why is that so easy yet yeah. two mega companies that have hundreds of billions in revenue yeah. can't like i don't know like it's clearly going to go that way we're getting a lot it's closer. it's kind of, i mean there's no chance it doesn't get there yeah. it's like who's who's going to push it so that it that becomes like standard and everybody has yeah. to have it we're working on it <laughs> no it's it's going to yeah. be so much better i mean yeah. i say this all the time i was like it would be amazing to just have a bank account that was USDC plugged in, right? Like if I could just yeah. use my Bank of America account and oh. also like, all oh. right, I got to send 50,000 USDC somewhere, like boom, just like that. Like yeah. that would be yeah. such a powerful, yeah. useful yeah. value add. Maybe you could I tap was, some tap some crypto yields at the same time. Yeah, and like, plug that. I mean, like that's probably <laughs> like going to take a little more, like I'm sure they're like risk and compliance guys are going to need like, it took them this long to like get comfy on that side, like let alone like, but anyway, right. but you know what? 
but most young people like they're you know like when you whatever demand deposit account right uh you're you're a grown man with a family dan but most young people with a demand deposit account that, that's like square cash venmo revolut yeah paypal that kind of thing right so you know the front edge of banking is is fintech products right and neo, neo bank type products right maybe they'll be the first to um to tip the scales that makes sense. I mean, like probably squares the furthest along. They're they already doing do, crypto. Right. They have Bitcoin. You can go in and out. Like it's not much of a leap to go. Well, like, how do you go from there to dollars? Conceivably, they've already taken care of the fraud issues on the Bitcoin yeah. side. So right. like right. dollar stable right. coins, not like a ton of difference. Yeah. I mean, that would be good to have them be like the first sort yeah. of person to do it. Yeah. We'll see and it'd happens. be useful. It'd be, I would hundred uh, yeah. percent switch yeah. all of my banking over yeah. to whoever does that. Well, this ties so so tying into like the more like the, the 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 crypto trading thesis, right? So, kind of undergirding all this stuff are like blockchains that can actually like run tokens and smart contracts, and you know that's sort of you know part of the like obviously like the ETH growth. There's a lot of things driving that, but like you know part of it is like stablecoins are now an actual killer app. Like majority of transactions on chains are stablecoin transactions, and like when you light this stuff up and you start lighting it up in consumer use cases, like people go, oh, wow, okay, this is consumer scale. Obviously, there's like scalability issues, throughput issues, cost issues, all the stuff that's kind of happening, um, you know, and, and there really is like super intense competition for like third generation change that could actually scale. Um, and, you know, that's obviously a place where, where people are, are taking positions. Um, um, we're doing multi-chain with USDC, largely because we see that there's, you know, a lot of innovation happening in terms of like scalability. If you want to have like apps and services that have tens or hundreds of millions of users, like pushing on chain transactions, like you can't do that on Ethereum today. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's choking under the current load and stuff's already really expensive. So yeah, I mean, like, I agree. It's, it's unclear if it's going to be like ETH 2.0, whenever and whatever that looks like, or if it's going to be some other second generation, higher right. throughput performance. Right. Like or a multi-chain, a multi-chain world, right? So you're going to have like interoperability and have like a standard that yeah. seamlessly across those. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think it's going to be a multi-world. It's just like, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to get everybody to like coagulate around one, like, yep. especially because it's so dispersed right now. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely our bet. Um, cool. So I, I think um, we're, we're going to run up on time here, but um, I think, you know, this, this sort of couple, couple kind of high level things. So like your, your broader view, like right now as a trader in the crypto markets, like th they are their own, it, it is their own world, right? You've got all these different tokens, you got all these sort of you know, you can, you can decide what you want about the different projects and, and, and the integrity and or quality or meaningful value of those. But like you have this like completely nascent, like pure play digital asset market. But as like a market infrastructure, like we were just talking about, like it's like got huge advantages over what we think of as classic market infrastructure. Um, do you think this just like, do, do these merge? Do, do, all, like, do all financial assets eventually merge into this space do they converge over time is this like you know are, is the build out that's happening in crypto markets actually like the build out of the new financial markets or or do you think these are just parallel for a really long time i think they're parallel for a really long time because like i just i don't think like, like traditional assets and like settlement and clearing like 
you don't think about it, right? Like you don't go and trade a bunch of stocks and then like be like, oh, like where do I like where is it posted and like what is the market? Like you, it's, you just don't. It's just like you push the buttons and it's like done. Like it's large. I don't want to say it's a solve problem, but it's not. There's not like a pain point there where people are like, well, I need to own my shares of Apple and have them like custody local. Like it, that's just like not a thing. So I don't see a ton of push from that community to suck in any of the larger sort of thesis that are going on in digital assets. Um, I mean, I, I see some world way in the future where they're like, this is silly. Why do we have these two things running independently? Right. What I think you'll have much more likely is like your interactive broker's account will let you just like deposit USDC and like that right. would be a bridge way to come right. through. So as, I, I just, as a payment settlement medium that obviously connects first, right? right. Yeah. And I think that's going to be it for a while because it's just, it's not a pain point for a lot of people for most of the major asset classes. As far as I know, they go on. Yeah. Like there may be portions of it that are just like busted from a back office side and like they'll pull it in. Like this was the whole enterprise blockchain push of like four or five years sure. ago. Sure. And that may bear fruit for a couple of things, but like in aggregate, I don't think there's like, I don't think guys are sitting around being like, thank God we can finally use like X blockchain to settle our share. Yeah, yeah. No, and just certainly, like, certainly in that, in that realm, I guess the, the, the area is like, can you, can you open up liquidity on things that in the past didn't have, uh, didn't have the option for that, right? I mean, even like today, front page of Wall Street Journal has got like the growth in like uh, essentially fractional buying of, you know, you know, shares of, uh, of Amazon and Tesla mm. opening up on brokerages and stuff like, you know, basically slicing and dicing things in ways that are, that are transmittable, settleable by like a, glo a global retail base. Um, oh, it'd be great. Look, I mean, if you think about it in terms of like the fact that you could open up an asset class to a larger retail worldwide participation. Yeah. yeah, that's monstrous. But there's just regulatory wise, I don't see that like happening anytime. I mean, look, we can't even get an ETF, like let alone, right. you know, like it is just like, it's just so hostile. But isn't there, but isn't, I mean, vanilla maybe, old school yeah, products. Yeah, look, I, 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 I believe that the inertia of the existing kind of apparatus is, is very significant. I think um, there is this sort of, you know, interesting phenomenon where basically like the COVID effect, right? There's like this, things accelerate in certain areas. Like, you know, e-commerce just like grew in a quarter, like the amount it grew over the last 10 years. Like it was just like, like, you know, crazy. And you see it in all the numbers of like, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these players out there. Um, but like, do, do, you know, do basically do governments say, you know, shit, we really need to be like we need to be at the front edge of like what this next technological shifts are and we're going to lean into it. And, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, because we have to, because like, that's what companies need to do right now. It's what societies need to do right now. It's sort of like, there's a bigger, like, you know what, we, we got to stop hanging on to the past and just accelerate because we got to get to just more efficiency um, because that's what happens when you have global depression. Maybe. I don't really see it in crypto though, right? Like if anything, it's just being ignored. Like people are just stopped talking about Libra, right? Like yeah, that yeah. conversation just died. And like everybody's like focusing on other stuff from the regulatory side of it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I would say. I'm, I'm talking like over like several years here. I'm, I'm not, I'm not talking uh, about anything yet. I, I would say if there's anything that is doing that, it's like the fact that China's pushing it forward. Right. And like nothing is a better incentive to get, your regulatory act together than some other country potentially getting it together. It's like, I think that matters way more. Yeah. I, just, I don't know the COVID stuff. Like it hasn't seemed that like payments were like a pain point for people. Right. 
Like, yeah, so, like, they even managed to give everybody those checks, right? And, like, that seemed like an impossible Herculean task at the time. So, I don't know. I'm not sure that, like, that's where they're, like, trying to push. I think they are looking at it, like, the whole work from home angle where they're, like, all right, like, this is, like, a thing. How do people do this? Like, companies obviously had to deal with that internally. Um, but I don't know. I'm clear that, like, the payment side was, like, all right, we got to, like, fix this. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe to kind of wrap a little bit, like give us your, um, give us your, your long thesis right now. On, on, on coins or on crypto. In crypto, I mean, look, like I'm, I'm a believer in the asset class as a whole will grow like over time. I think if you're out there like punching individual bets on like names, like that's probably not a good plan. I think like liquidity will continue to like aggregate towards the largest, most used sort of pieces of the pie. And like, look, there's like clearly demand worldwide for like assets that are like specifically like shielded, not only from inflation, but like from their own like governments in some capacity. And I don't see that trend going the other direction anytime soon. I mean, you're seeing like a huge rally in metals too, right? That's not random. Right. I think this like kind of continues going on. And there's a big push from the Fed to like even just change their thought process on inflation entirely. So I don't know. I think this stuff's got to bid at it until like that sort of changes in the world. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Okay, so so three years, uh, total market cap of uh, fiat-backed digital dollar stablecoins. Oh, so what are we at right now? Like, what's the number? Twelve billion. Like, as a, 12, billion. Like, Twelve billion. I think you'll so three years. I think you'll crack fifty. Crack fifty. Yeah, but I think at some point, like, there's a number, right? There's a number of the dollars in stablecoins that if it like tips. Like there's going to be a regulatory conversation. Like if that number, I feel like hits like 25, maybe like 30. Like there's going to be like, hey, can you pause this for a sec? Like we have to talk about this. You know, well, sure. the, those those conversations are happening. <laughs> yeah, so it's getting there, right? Like so, I I think the trend is in that direction, but like yeah. I'm also like cognizant of this isn't going to just be like a like straight line. Like there's okay. going to be some like things in between. So how long until it's a trillion dollars in in uh, in stable coins? Well, trillion dollars is a lot, right? How much cash is there even in the U.S. system? Well, you have like, cash, but you also have like you know money markets. Global money markets are at what five trillion? I think you got ten years for a trillion. Ten years for a trillion. All right, I'm going to stick around for that. Yeah, I mean, it's not that long <laughs> in the scheme of things, right? Like Bitcoin's only got ten years on it. We've been at this seven, eight years, so we. Yeah. No, not. I give you ten not, years on that. That's okay. a lot of. That's a lot of value. Yeah, we'll see. I think it's faster. <laughs> hey i'd love to be proved wrong <laughs> awesome dan such an awesome conversation so great to have you uh you know hanging out here today thank you yeah, so thanks much. for having me yeah absolutely uh so some awesome perspective from dan um really obviously just an incredible view on the history of all this and what's going on and, and where it's going um next week uh, we're going to turn our attention back to this sort of rising role. A lot of what we talked about here, this rising role of, of digital dollar stablecoins in the mainstream financial system. So several weeks ago, as mentioned, the acting head of the OCC, the, uh, you know, the largest regulator of national banks in the United States, Brian Brooks, issued guidance that, uh, that said that banks, uh, national banks in the United States could hold in custody cryptocurrency, crypto assets on behalf of their customers question I'm asking is, you know, what might this mean for banks and financial institutions adopting stablecoins? Uh, so next week, very excited to have as a special guest, Brian Brooks, uh, to talk about 
the role of the digital dollar and digital dollar stablecoins in the U.S. financial system. We're going to get his view on the latest OCC guidance and what this means for crypto dollars in the banking system, how stablecoins can drive core payment system innovation in the U.S. and globally. Till next time, stay well, stay safe, and stay informed. Thank you. Thank you.